Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent nature of the things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the 11th episode of the first season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. I'm Eric Ledbetter, the realtor to the ghosts. <laughs> uh, Jordan and Kayla couldn't make it with us today, uh, but we have a very special guest. He's a horror enthusiast, writer, and former teacher, actually one of my high school teachers, Jeff Achenzi. Hey! Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Ah, uh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so every guest I always ask, what was your first ever ghost encounter? Oof. First ghost encounter. I'm 42 years old, so I got to go back a little bit here. Uh, I would probably say one I usually know about was uh, Illich's Mill Road. Okay. Um, so there was a story there that I knew about right around the old mill. Everyone kind of knows it. And um, my sister played softball, so we used to be out at the Lehigh Little League fields a lot of times. And uh, friends and I would wander for the night games. And um, that was the first time we looked over our shoulder, and there was something standing there. So out in Illich's Mill, Monocacy Park. What year was that? Oh my gosh, um, probably about 1987, 88. Okay. What exactly did you see? Just a figure? Do you know if it was male or female? Uh, male figure, just a just a guy. And um, from what I sort of knew, that he just that was sort of his haunt. So okay. if it's from the from the mill up through around Monocacy Park, out around the uh, the driving range area, mm-hmm. they have lots of uh, occurrences in the bathrooms that the public bathrooms that sit out there, and um, yeah. So that's definitely what definitely what we saw that night. What was your uh, reaction as a kid? Did you just run right away? We ran. <laughs> um, yeah, we were in the outfield. Uh, nobody was around. Uh, so we knew we had a good couple hundred yards back to the bleachers where uh, the safety of adults were. And um, one of my good friends and I, we were super into that stuff. So the fact oh. that it happened together, we, and uh, he doesn't like to talk about it still to this day, but oh. um, we know that that's what happened that night. So was that... That was your first ghost encounter. Yep. Um, would that also be the scariest ghost encounter you ever had? Probably scared me the most. Um, I, I think the one that always sticks out to me, because I was with a group of people, none of us ran, and uh, we, we all just kind of were stuck in place, was in Gettysburg. Okay. Um, and we saw the woman in white in the university's clock tower. Oh, wow. And we were on a ghost tour. And... None of us wanted to be that person on a ghost tour that sees a ghost. Uh, but on a ghost tour, oh, there's people like, did you see that over there? And you're like, oh, God, that person. Um, so, I, so the story was of a, a girl who had jumped to her death. Mm-hmm. She was a townie, and uh, she was had a relationship with a college student. They couldn't be together. They agreed to Romeo and Juliet it from the school's uh, clock tower. And um, when they got up there, uh, he had changed his mind. So they <laughs> one, two, threed. And she was the only one. What an ass. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. So um, for a good hundred and some years, the school uh, has just had stories of students walking by the tower at night. And there's a girl up there just kind of calling to guys to come up to her. And they've had some uh, definitely reports of suicides from that tower. Oh, wow. And um, so the the night we were there, you're looking up and it's dark. And you kind of looking at, you know, probably three, four stories. And there's a bell and there's just this thing moving back and forth. And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And uh, so I'm waiting. (laughs) And I'm waiting. And I'm like, wow, the tour put somebody up there. Like, this is really good. And then my friend who is that person leans in and she's like, 
do you see that? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. <laughs> and with that, somebody with a video camera just screamed out, I see her. Right. And we're like all looking through this viewfinder. I mean, it, it could not have been any clearer. Right. And um, so we all just kind of stood there and we, we left. We had nothing else we could do. We weren't going <laughs> to wait. But uh, that was probably the weirdest one because we were with a group of people. Yeah, a whole group of people saw the same thing. Yeah, like probably about 10 of us. I knew one other person in the group. We all saw the exact same thing. Somebody was looking through a viewfinder. Um, did you get any pictures or anything? Uh, I did. Yeah? Um, so we, I had it not as good as what was in that viewfinder. Sure. That was amazing. But that's the one that I'm just sort of like, and we all just brushed it off as, that's what we saw. Yeah, like, then, yeah. yeah like nobody was going to be like, all right, like, what's behind the mask? Right. And we all just walked away like, okay. And hey, Gettysburg, all... Gettysburg has a ton of video online, yeah. especially mm-hmm. Gettysburg, because it's like yeah. so oh, paranormal, you know, yeah. Yeah. tons of stuff. Which is yeah, cool. and I mean, every inch of that town you walk, mm-hmm. somebody, something's haunted. Some, something's, it's, someone's the soldiers killed. walking through the forest yeah. or the yeah. woods, you know, stuff yep. like that is really Hearing cool. Hearing cannons in the back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Stuff like that. And yeah. yeah, we stayed on um, Big Round Top Campground. And definitely heard a cannon fire in the night. I mean, but it's just, I think if you're there, it, it, you just you just expect it. Right, right. It's, uh, right. it's, really... le- it's almost less scary and more like, oh, okay, this is what's supposed to happen while I'm here. Yep. Yeah. I took, uh, at the time, girlfriend, now wife, uh, one of our first romantic getaways <laughs> was to Gettysburg. Uh, she still married me years later. Aww. Uh, we stayed in the Farnsworth, which is one of the Civil War buildings, and uh, has a, a cannon hole in its attic. And um, we were staying in one of the new rooms, uh, not one that was there during the battle, but definitely was haunted by, we were told, a young child. And That's there cool. were all these toys around the room, because they were like, you'll just come back and like the jacks will be on the floor, or something will have That's moved. Cool. And um, so I'm like, cool. And one night, you know, I've only known her... Maybe six, seven months at this time, uh-huh. and she's just tapping on me like, "There's something in our bathroom." <laughs> and I'd been to Gettysburg. I was just sort of like, "It's the ghost," and she's like, "No, seriously." And I'm like, "I'm not gonna go check that out." And I was like, that sounds scary as hell. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I went back to sleep, and then the next morning, uh, I walked into the bathroom, and sure, like her makeup bag was in the middle of the room. Oh wow, stuff That's was taken cool. out of it, and I looked down, and I'm just like. What did you hear last night? <laughs> and so, yeah, so there was that moment. But she always remembers. She's just like, you just like rolled over. Like, yeah, it's the ghost. and went back to sleep. So, but uh, Gettysburg, obviously, I've been there many times. It's great. That's really cool. Great spot. Yeah. Awesome. So how did you get into horror? I mean, I know you're a big horror enthusiast. Yeah. You love horror movies. Love you horror. even taught a class that showed horror movies. Yes. Like, how did you get into this? Um, I grew up in the 80s. I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I know, if, there, I don't know if anything else needs to be said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, gosh, we had horror movie cartoons for crying out loud in the 80s. But uh, my my parents, I had younger parents. So my mom was 23 when I was born. That's like half of my life ago. Mm-hmm. But um, so Friday the 13th was in, God, it's going to sound funny, only it's fourth uh, iteration. <laughs> uh, who would have known? But they were having a marathon weekend on probably the movie channel, HBO, one of those. And I was about five years old, and my parents thought it was a good idea to let me sit there. Yeah. And um, so they had friends over. I had an older sister. I'm in. I like just. Cl- I actually wrote about this recently in um, in Horror Works magazine. And um, I just remember clutching my pillow, just like looking, not looking, looking, not looking. And uh, two movies Friday night, two movies Saturday night, finished the four of them. And by Sunday morning, I was like, that was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I think that was like the first taste. Gotcha. And um, 
80s parents were just very different than today. So they weren't uh, as protective and yeah, and I I think the oh honey it was all pretend was not the mindset my parents friends were like this happened over in jersey they're like like, did you notice no like they talk about freddy krueger because he's not real that's like robert england but they're like no one talks about who plays jason yeah it's a guy like and these were things that my parents friends definitely said to me and um so just all that kind of stuff and i mean i didn't know till i got old i don't know if they were talking about blairstown or not with friday the 13th but uh, I mean, that was that was kind of it. And uh, Illich's Mill had its haunted house at that time. Can't gotcha. anymore. And um, I think that was it. But, like, you know, at that point you had, like, Twilight Zone, the TV show was on. Mm-hmm. I think, um, what's the Outer Limits was on. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side was Tales on. Tales from the Dark oh, Side. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this good. is before Tales from the Crypt. Oh, my God. So, I mean, and then uh, Nick at Night would have Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Right. Um, video stores were just everywhere. They were in 7-Elevens. And, oh, wow, uh, really? Yeah, you could just go on 7-Eleven and run a, run a video. Oh, that's crazy. I did not know um, So, just every week, it was just like, you know, there was always stuff to see and do. And my sister worked at Blockbuster starting in, do some math, in 91. And you could rent two movies every night if you were an employee. So I would go with my mom to pick up my sister 15 <laughs> minutes early and dark to the horror section. Yeah. So, I mean, and thankfully I had parents that just let me watch whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, to this, like, even today I asked my mom, like, what were you thinking? And she's like, ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's her explanation yeah, yeah. to it. I was like, do you know what I watch? Oh, see, like, my parents were like the opposite. My parents were like, nope, you can't watch anything. Like, no nudity, no horror, no, no. nothing. Like, it was really... See, my, my parents were kind of more like his. Like, I kind of just watched almost, not whatever I wanted, but, you know, they weren't as sheltering as parents are today. Like, I remember... My dad had me watch Candyman when it first came out. Oh, that's that was, creepy. That one messed me oh, up a yeah. little bit. But, like, I've loved horror movies ever since I was a kid, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, and the merchandising took off in the 80s, too. Yeah. So, like, a Freddy Krueger doll or, like, the little squirt balls or T-shirts and um, board games, Halloween costumes. I mean, it just became so popular. I think yeah. the, as the genre went down and I think the popularity and the social pushback mm-hmm. of the early 90s um, kind of swung the pendulum the other way. That stuff went away for a while. And then I think once the internet came around and fan groups and all that stuff, we've kind of swung back the other way that like yeah. Walmart and Target are selling horror movie figures. Yeah. And uh, I mean, my daughter has the Toonie Terrors line. It's like Jason as a cartoon character. And um, so I, I think we definitely have have returned somewhat to the '80s, and I think with streaming now too. I have a question yeah. for you, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, so I think back to like that first was it Friday the Thirteenth that yep. you watched, and yep. and you know as a as a kid, you know in the, me also growing up in the '80s, like looking at that stuff, I was terrified. I was mm-hmm. I was turning the other way. I, I had closed my eyes, like a, or mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch it. But you're watching it, and it did something to you. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was about that movie or about horror movies at that time that turned you into an enthusiast? I don't think I could have verbalized it then mm-hmm. as much as I can now. Um, I, I definitely think it was the safe scare mm-hmm. for me. Uh, I lost my grandfather when I was five mm-hmm. uh, and my grandmother when I was three, although I don't really remember that. But uh, I came from a large family where my mom had like 13 uh, aunts and uncles by blood, so 26 when you take that out to me. Jeez. And uh, both my grandmother and grandfather on my mom's side were the babies. 
So they were, and like in my grandfather's case, his oldest brother was like a good 20 years older than he was. So it just seemed like for the first decade of my life, it was like funeral, 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 funeral. So we were just, uh, not that I was surrounded by death, but um, you definitely had to make a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And I think horror movies was kind of that safer place for me, where when you would come out on the other side, you were just sort of like, oh, there we go. That wasn't bad. I mean, I think... Definitely some of the stuff I've watched over the years now it is almost like the uh, internal vigilance where it's like, oh, God, that was horrible. Like, I never want to see that again. Um, but I know why I don't want to see it again. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, I preach a lot about Last House on the Left, like why it's, I think, one of the most terrifying things I've seen, not just because of how disturbing it is, but because what's actually under that surface, too. Right. Uh, if you guys are, aren't familiar with it, it's just the idea that it's not the escaped convicts that are doing the horrible things to the girls that are the scariest part of that movie, even though what they do is just horrific. I mean, it, it is not easy to watch. I watched it with my 16-year-old nephew recently. <laughs> I thought he was finally ready for it. And um, he got to the end of it, and he was just like... I don't want to watch that again. And I was like, that's the right answer. Like, I don't think people come out of that movie like, wow. But I, I think the scarier part of that movie was that the parents that actually get their hands on these killers, knowing what they have done to their daughter. Right. And we see what the parents do. That is so much scarier. Right. Because, you know, escape convict, crazy man with an axe. Great. Mom and dad at the <laughs> dinner party. But like, as a father, can you not relate to that a little bit? Oh, like, what would you do? Absolutely. If you got your hands on someone that did that. Oh, like, absolutely. Like, you know and I, mean? I, I, I say to my wife, I mean, that's the, the, the dark, I mean, the, the id, if you will, that is so frightening <clears throat> is the idea, like, you know, as you become older and definitely with kids, yeah. there's just this thing of like, oh, you will not. <laughs> stop right. at anything <laughs> to protect your children. Exactly. And I mean, that is such a frightening thing because we like to pretend we're civilized. We like to pretend we're these like very gentle society, but there is just everyone has that little bit of darkness. There is that primalness them. under yeah. under all of us that is yeah. frightening, which yeah. I, I do think when the right horror movie can tap into that, um, much, much scarier than um, you know, than the guy with the mask. Right, right. Exactly. See, I was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not the opposite, but I was if it could happen in real life, mm -hmm. I was terrified. Mm -hmm. So, like, a guy with knives for nails mm -hmm. or, or a guy in a mask terrorizing your neighborhood mm -hmm. was the stuff that I stayed away from. Mm -hmm. Ghosts and paranormal, mm -hmm. paranormal stuff, like, things that I didn't know about at that time or mm -hmm. things I couldn't see mm -hmm. were probably the things that were less scary to me. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So it was like, oh, if, if I saw, you know, Michael Myers mm -hmm. on this movie, he could be out front of my house, breaking mm -hmm. into my house. That was, mm -hmm. And so that I stayed away from that stuff. Yeah, okay. Even to this day, I'm like... I still yeah, get yeah, yeah. crazy about like even serial killer stuff too. Yep, like that stuff terrifies me versus like more of the paranormal. I'm like, okay, yeah, like, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely my wife doesn't like it so much, but um, I definitely have that sort of fascination with serial killers, and I think that goes back to I mean, it sounds funny when I'm going to say that, the childhood innocence, right? Because in your mind, you do like to think that everybody's good, and obviously that's not the case. It's not definitely not the case, and so sort of like other things in history that are difficult to look at things like you know the holocaust or slavery where you're in your mind you're trying to put yourself there and you just can't yeah. and, and and the serial killers are definitely kind of that place where in, in your brain you're just sort of like all right maybe if i can understand it and unlock it like i can at least 
I don't think there is an understanding to it. And we've talked about it a million times on this podcast about, you know, childhood abuse, child abuse, you know, those serial killers went through when they were kids and, mm-hmm. and traumatic brain injury and mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff that happens that led them to there. There's a lot of parallels between yeah. them that we'll never understand because yeah. we were never in that situation. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So I digress. I could go on forever. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, my wife doesn't like it because that's just, you know... And I keep thinking if I watch one more documentary, I'm going to find the, the key. And so, you know, and now they're they're very in vogue again where yeah. everybody's dropping. You know, Netflix just had their Night Stalker one. Yep. I think, uh, was it Peacock? Sorry, I'm not plugging these. I don't work for any of But they had the Son of Sam one. Yeah. and Someone uh, just did one about the Killer Clown. Yeah, Killer Clown. Yeah. Bundy's back yeah. in. Yeah. Like, yeah. and... I, I, there's definitely the audience out there. And my wife, she just does not understand it yeah um but people that like you know friends and stuff in the communities that we all kind of had that same sort of mindset of just like maybe if we could understand it it would be easier to right. to take or to deal with but i was looking for a good Dahmer one and i couldn't find one like netflix doesn't have a Dahmer one yeah. and you can't find them like they're like you can find everything else but for mm-hmm. some reason i don't know if they're making it or whatever mm-hmm. there's not a great documentary that i have that i can find find about Dahmer. The, the best medium I've ever seen on it was, and now this eventually was made into a film, which was fine. Uh, there's a graphic novel called My Friend Dahmer, mm-hmm. and it's written by oh, one of his yeah, high school yeah, friends. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, I mean, if you really want to get the idea of, like, the, the warning signs or, th- I mean, the, the, the very end of the book, and not giving anything away, but his wife calls him and says, like, hey, somebody you went to high school with uh, killed a bunch of people. And the first name he said was Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm-hmm. And he, like... So the fact that high school kids knew at that time that like yeah. this is this is a problem, right? And um, and nobody else saw it. Yeah. It was very interesting. But yeah, that book. There are just so many things where yeah. you're. Just I like, didn't see that movie because mm-hmm. I I was looking for more of like a documentary yeah, style yeah. type film, but they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I, I I watched that movie and mm-hmm. it was it was okay. Yeah, was, they, I was expecting a little more from a Dahmer documentary, mm-hmm. but then I forgot to realize that it was about him as a child, so he didn't really do as much. So it was pretty much about everything that led up to the moment yep. where he wanted to do something evil. Yep. You know? And I, I think the the very last time the guy saw him was shortly after graduation, and the time frame looks like he had committed his first murder right in that time frame. So he's like, right. the last time he saw him, had he just done his first killing? Uh, I mean, No, that's interesting. That's yeah. Really interesting. But, but that's where it leads off, yeah. If any of our listeners know of a good doc- Dahmer documentary, let us know. I was looking up one, and I don't think there is one on Netflix, but there's one called The Jeffrey Dahmer Files, which I think I've, which I think I've seen, and it was actually uh, pretty decent. And I know ID has definitely done mm-hmm. episodes yeah. on these serial killers that are actually really, really good. And you being, a, you being a youngin', you probably don't... I mean, we watched it on the evening news. Right? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I yeah. mean, so yeah, for, for the world to see that, I like I said in the last... Uh, uh, podcast episode when we were doing Jeffrey Dahmer it kind of shook the world that yep. this kind of thing actually happened in yeah. a place where the happy days was about a place where it was about family mm-hmm. and happiness and all of a sudden here's a cannibalistic serial killer yep I think too uh, some of it is not a not a symptom of the time but I do look back and so much of it was the uh, uh, who he targeted and in that late 80s early 90s idea very sort of uh, the the, the shifting of homophobia in our yeah. in our society, and the fact that him attacking gay men, like the the idea of most of his targets, and it was just very much sort of that underneath of like, oh, see, it's that whole sort of uh, part of society that's the problem, and right. it, like, and now looking back, like twenty twenty five years later, you're just like, 
No, like <laughs> it's just very interesting how things were, were framed. And, yeah, you know, it's very different. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to want to talk about is uh, currently you are doing some horror writing. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little about that? Who are you writing for? Yep. Where can people read your writings? Yep. Um, so I work for Patty Jack Press. That's our uh, our editing or publishing company. Uh, we started with a little niche uh, publication called the Joe Bob Fanzine that's been around for almost three years now. We're on coming up on issue 16. Uh, that comes from, if you know, Joe Bob Briggs. He used to host Monster Vision on uh, TBS. He now hosts uh, The Last Drive-In on Shudder. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a huge Shudder stan. They should start paying me royalties. The <laughs> amount of times I have talked about it or written about it. Um, I use the term stan. I like to try to stay young. But... Um, so in that particular uh, magazine, we recap kind of the seasons that he's done just on Shutter. So we go back through. We do a lot of the movies. Uh, he has really long monologues that we transcribe uh, through computer. And um, we go through. We do a lot of interviews. But it's all fan-created, which yeah. is really fun. Uh, I wrote about um, that recently, just what it was like being connected to something in your life. And there's only a few times in your life where you will feel that media is being made for you. Right. And then all of a sudden to find out that there's an entire group of people that you feel mm -hmm. that is being made for and you all have the exact same feeling. I mean, you're, you're lucky if you get that. I mean, it, it could be art, it could be music, it could be whatever. Um, but like this particular show I felt like oh they brought this back entirely for me at this point in my life <laughs> and then um, over the summer the Mahoning Drive-In which once again drive-ins are back in yeah. I just love it um, they had the Joe Bob Jamboree there in July and I had a chance to cover it for the magazine so I got to sleep in a field in Pennsylvania for three days and uh, <laughs> hot July rains I mean it was everything I dreamt it would be um, so uh, I just had a feature issue for the magazine on that and um, just got to write about my, my time there and it, it was great and it's awesome I think the most fun thing is um, my nephew my sister who grew up watching these with me would not let her children watch them and oh, really? her, yeah and she was always it's going to be too scary it's going to be too scary and I'm like Jen I'm like you introduced me to all of this <laughs> like this is primarily your fault and so finally when her older son got about to be 12 years old I finally started saying like can I let see something and I started on with like Monster Squad or something and then yeah. eventually we went to Halloween and he was like that wasn't bad and I was like see isn't this fun <laughs> and uh, little by little but he spent the weekend with me there uh, he noticed that he was the youngest person there by far and driving home and he still talks about it, he was like that was one of the most fun experiences oh, of my that's life awesome. that's awesome and I'm like oh that's that's why I wanted to <laughs> yeah, do this right? so, it made um, it all worth it yeah <laughs> and now the magazine we just uh, launched a second line which is called Horror Works um, it's just spinning out of the pages of Joe Bob and um, I have two columns in there uh, one is called Raised on Horror uh, awesome. I have a one and a three year old and one of the things, uh, as you have kids, you find out they are little versions of yourself, yeah. but they are also their own people. And so you want to share everything that you love with them, but you also want them to, to come to it on their own. Mm -hmm. um, so horror being such a big part of my life, you're like, well, how do you do this? <laughs> like, how do you not push them away? But how do you, you know, when do you do certain things? Like, right. and, um, you know... I have such a huge horror movie collection on physical media, and then my collectible wall is just gigantic as well. And it's like, okay, if they walk in there, they will never go in that room again. Um, so I thought the best way to do it was just ask parents. So uh, 
so I curate it, but Raised on Horror, we just have guest writers every single month. And um, they kind of share their story any age. So our, our first piece was uh, her son is eight years old. And uh, she actually worked on horror documentaries with her husband. And um, so that's how they met. So obviously her son has just been in. And, but she wrote great tales about what they've done. And um, we have somebody actually going to be for the next issue has a teenager who is just totally into Rocky Horror. <laughs> and talked about how that's like the family bonding experience. <laughs> Instead of like, you know, the Friday night video store. No, we're getting dressed up and going out. Uh, and then the other one I do uh, is open to anybody. And uh, my wife gave me the name, which was great. Um, I forgot the name in Latin already, but it's basically First Fright. Okay. And uh, Primo Terror, I believe, is the, the Latin. But it is exactly what I've already done on here. It is just gotcha. everybody talking about their first horror movie yeah. uh, whenever it was. Because that was the thing I think I noticed at the Jamboree was people come to horror and this kind of stuff at all different times of their life. Right, sure. And there were people that like, I married into it. And the wife's <laughs> like, he did. Like, and I thought that was great. I was like, here's this like 40-year-old guy. Like, I've never watched any of this stuff. Right, right. Uh, versus like my daughter daughter that wears a like Friday the 12th shirt with Jason being really sad to school and her preschool <laughs> teachers are like it's fine and I'm like That's okay awesome. and, uh you know there I get fun questions the, the school knows what I do yeah. they know they had the magazine and um when they do Halloween, you know, Cameron, that's my daughter, she's just like, Frankenstein, Dracula. <laughs> and uh, when they had ghosts, she just kept saying ghost face, scream. Yeah. And uh, one day her teacher's like, is ghost face a thing? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, please don't call protective services. <laughs> but, um, I mean... Are you taking people in to be on these columns? Absolutely. If, uh, they, if they want, if people want to be on it, whether you're a parent mm -hmm. who introduced your kids to horror or mm -hmm. you want to share your first uh, horror movie experience, where can they reach you at? Yep. Uh, so Raised on Horror has its own uh, Twitter account right now, Facebook page. Uh, it's just at Raised on Horror. And then uh, that magazine is Horror Works. So once again, I think it's just at Horror Works. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look for either, it's uh, at Patty Jack Press is the editor. And then... Um, Let's see, it's at Joe Bob Fanzine is the Twitter. That's how we do most of our stuff. Uh, www.pattyjackpress.com has all the issues, everything available that's been there. Uh, our printer actually let us go to a on-demand kind of thing. So oh, nice. we have our, our initial runs, and then uh, they usually let us do some back-order stuff. So yeah. um, that's been great. Um, like I said, I know next or this upcoming Friday. Uh, I don't know when upcoming is. Let's go with December the seventeenth. Okay. Uh, Joe Bob is having his Christmas special on Shutter, and they oh, do nice. the charity auction. Cool. And uh, we donated a full run of uh, magazines to it, so that's one of the things that's gonna gonna get auctioned. That's very cool. cool. I gotta tell my business partner Chad to get in touch with you because he has pretty young kids mm -hmm. and. He just took on the horror con. Yep. <laughs> and, like, they love it. They know mm -hmm. horror movies. They know they're fake. But they love them. Yep. They're, they're at a horror con. They're, like, touching, like, the fake props and the zombies yep. and this and that. They're talking to, like, actual people they've seen in horror movies. Like, ask them a question. Like, they love it. It's awesome. That's, uh, my daughter has this picture with Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> and she's wearing the camp shirt from Sleepaway Camp. And Felissa Rose, like, tried to steal my daughter. <laughs> she is just like, this is the cutest thing I have ever Aww. seen. And, uh, yeah, and um, you were talking about introducing uh, kid, like, with my nephew. That's very much sort of like horror comic that I did with him is I had to explain to him that this is all a magic trick. Yeah. And uh, since media and all that kind of stuff was uh, interesting to him at that time, I just told him, I said, 
if you ever get nervous or scared, just look at it and try to figure out how did they do it. Right. Because I don't think they really put an axe in that guy's head. Um, so I, I said, so figure it out, um, or or maybe maybe look it up. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, so uh, speaking of horror movies and your uh, love for horror, mm-hmm. um, as I said before, uh, Jeff was actually my tenth grade English teacher. Fantastic <laughs> English teacher. I remember the speech you gave at the end of the year. Ah, cereals, pajama, and Nintendo. That's right. That's right. It kind of gave us motivation to do better. In life, and not be that person who just stays in their pajamas and yep. eats spaghettios and plays right. Nintendo all day. That's right. Um, but you actually taught a class that showed horror movies, and mm-hmm. it was about classic films. Can you mm-hmm. touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so I had a chance. Um, I was so fortunate to have a great English department and a great school that let me do uh, a course. We called it Intro to Films. Liberty High School, by oh, the way. Oh, Liberty High School. Okay, I can plug <laughs> Go it. Go Hurricanes. Um, I didn't know if I could plug that. Um, so it was just Intro to Film Studies, and the idea was. Um, just to get kids used to the language of film and then give them a little bit of history, uh, talking about how it went from just sort of this spectacle to suddenly having a narrative structure. Um, and then we hit on different things. Like we talked about the different genres. That's kind of how we package our movies today yeah. uh, versus how you know we talked about the studio system and things like that. Uh, I loved it because it gave me a chance to show teenagers movies that they wouldn't go and necessarily find. Right, themselves. like like you were saying, Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Like no one would ever go and see that. Like no. I've, obviously, I've seen yep. that, yep. and I thought it was genius for a silent movie at the yep. time to have that kind of dark story and to kind of try to use effects because they couldn't yep. film it. They couldn't film at night, yep. so they used different tones and stuff to to uh, differentiate from night and day and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely, pretty cool. Um, I had the chance to see it twice with a live orchestra. Oh wow! That's and cool. uh, and I think the one I showed to my class, uh, if you know, there was a I don't, I don't know what to call the genre anymore, but the group was called Typo Negative, and they did a soundtrack on a DVD for Nosferatu. Okay. And so I showed my kids that one as well. And um, but yes, yeah, so some of them really understood why I showed that, and then they had the chance to see. You know, we went through some of the classics that they didn't like like Citizen Kane for example was one that I always showed because you were trying to explain to them once again the idea of the narrative structure of flashback was just unheard of like today we're like well of course but at the time it's just like oh yeah I'm gonna do this thing like Orson Welles just went for it (laughs) and uh, it was like oh great and um then uh but coming through like they got a chance to see Psycho yeah and that's a good one because Alfred Hitchcock Put in a bunch of new ideas in yeah. movies. Oh yeah, and like the, a lot the of idea of a, a start time. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the kids are like, "Wait, what?" And it's like, "Yeah, uh, until then, you just walked in and like sat down and you started looking at the screen." The idea of like, "We will not let anyone in the theater after the movie begins." Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, besides the Jeanette Lee, you know, only making it halfway through the film. Sorry, uh, too too soon. I, I didn't know. <laughs> spoiler alert, I don't know. Right? Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but it was great because also everybody knows the title of Psycho. Yes, everybody everyone knows the story. Everybody knows right. the shower scene. Not many people know what happens after that. Right. And uh, I used to like to mess with my English classes sometimes. I would, if we had a chance, I would show them. And when we were talking about looking at plot structure, and I'd be like, "All right." Get out your plot chart. I'm like, we're going to do, you know, introduction. Let's start looking at the climax. Let's do our rising action. And then the shower happened. And they would look at me like, what am I supposed to do with this now? They're like, the character is gone. Right, right. And it was just like, isn't that great? Like, <laughs> like Hitchcock absolutely just messed with us in this film. And and when you get to the end, my students' minds just blown. Because yeah. I don't think... They didn't. They, they just most still never saw it coming, and I, I, I love that. 
Uh, we actually had a unit on horror, and I had a chance to show Halloween. Um, That's awesome. And students usually really liked it. They were taken back by the reserved uh, film that they saw. Yeah. I think they had just heard the title Halloween. They knew Michael Myers for sure. But I think they just had associated it with this slasher film, right. which I don't want to use derogatory, but I mean, that's what people kind of think. They're like, oh, it's just... A, um, but when they were all said and done, they were like, oh, wow, that is a really compact film. Right. And I would tell them, like, oh, if you look at the script, it's like 20 pages. <laughs> uh, I mean, Carpenter was just like, this. This is, this is all we're going to do. And... Um, so that's one of the things I, I loved it, but that was a little tricky to get into the curriculum. Right. Um, I guess I, had, sure. I think I had to do an essay on it. Um, <laughs> but once it was in, it, it was in. And um, so my students loved it. And I, I do think because the amount of homage or references to it, mm-hmm. I mean, even to, I was just watching the Chucky series from sci fi. And whoever made that series is in love with the movie Halloween because <laughs> there are just so many things that are in there. They pulled. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I was just like, oh, that. Yeah. And uh, my wife's like, what? And I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I'm like, end that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the one thing that my students did love, and I would do it every single time, and I've done this since I was a kid, if you're familiar with Halloween, at the end, when um, Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, is sending the kids out of the house, yeah. and she says, go, da- go out the house and run down the street to the Mackenzie's. Well, Mackenzie and a Chenzi are pretty similar <laughs> sounding. And uh, you'd always hear me from the back of the classroom, like, a Chenzi's? Yeah. Like, don't send them to my house. <laughs> And uh, they would always try, and then the kids got used, and then, uh, of course, in uh, 1996, when Scream comes out, uh-huh. that's where Casey Becker's parents, uh, Drew Barrymore's parents, are sent, and they're like, go down the street to the McKenzie's, and, like, my friends look at me like, oh, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. Like, I know, they're sending them to my house. Like, this that's is awesome. Um, but that was that great moment for me, and, um, yes, my students, uh, every. That was the one movie, or not the one, but we had an out for that movie. So there was definitely like, a, hey, if you if you don't want to do this one, yeah, right, I totally get it. Right. Um, and I had a bunch of other alternatives there, and it was funny because sometimes they would pick ones that I thought were scarier. One of the alternatives was Jaws, mm. and they oh, went wow. for Jaws, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> that probably messed me up most as a kid. Yeah, you didn't want to go like, in the water after seeing right, that movie oh, back then. <laughs> we were in St. Lucia a couple years ago, and I was snorkeling for the first time in the Caribbean, and. So I, I took off the snorkel and I was just kind of going down with a rebreather. And um, I looked out and I realized I was just looking out into the void. Mm-hmm. And there was just that moment of like, I want the boat. Right. <laughs> and uh, I came up and my wife's like, what's going on? And I'm like, nothing. I was like, I, but I think that, back to your idea of things yeah, right. being out there. Yeah. I, was I mean, just, every time I go in the ocean, I think of just every single yep, time, no yep. matter, even if I just put my feet into yep. the ocean. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a shark. I'm going <laughs> to yep. get eaten alive. Yep, that was that moment of just looking like how many feet, miles, yards, right. <laughs> <laughs> until that killing machine is out there because that is all they do. But that's right? what makes a good horror movie. Yeah. You know, even to this day, I mean, it's definitely the effects are outdated and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but even to this day, we're still talking about it. We're still kind oh, of yeah. have that little bit of fear mm-hmm. embedded in us. That's what makes a good horror movie. Yeah, and I... It's interesting what has stood the test of time, because that's one of the things with uh, Joe Bob, not back to to plug him, but he shows movies that haven't stood the test of time, (laughs) and uh, it's it's neat to to see why. (laughs) I mean, we we all have our favorite bad movies, our, our favorite campies. But um, it is, you know, the ones that have stood, it is for a reason. I mean, they, yeah. they, they hit us in, in some certain way. And I mean, Joe, 
<laughs> uh, has definitely messed up quite a few people. Yeah, sure. definitely. I don't want to say it's an entirely American art form because there's obviously great cinema around mm-hmm. the world. But when you look at the inventions that were coming out in the late 1890s, um, and it, it was one, I mean, we're, we are a young country. I yeah. mean, other than the musical, I don't think there are too many American art forms. Right. And, um, I, I think that's why I like sharing it so much. I mean, the film class was, was very important to me. Sure. Um, because, yeah, there were kids that definitely either just liked a film that they never would have seen mm-hmm. or realized this is what I want to do or, you know, have, have gone down that path then just because they had a chance to, to see something. Um, so, so I love it. It's really interesting that my, my mom, she likes movies, but she does not digest them in the same way mm-hmm. I do and I have to tell them movies that she's seen because she just doesn't remember and like most of my life is just a movie quote I'm just like quoting 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 <laughs> yes, and uh, she's just like how have you done this and I was like I don't know I'm like just everything is in it's there it's well yeah I mean I was I, I was gifted with this curse of like remembering everything I've heard and seen right. and um, it makes you rather awkward in situations because nobody <laughs> remembers stuff but you're like it's in there oh if it's yeah. important to you I think you remember the things that are important to you or the things that change yeah. your life as you know especially yeah. when you're younger and growing up through this stuff like mm-hmm. I, you know I can quote movies not even hard, just movies yeah, oh, absolutely. that were super important to me, mm-hmm. and the ones that I was like, eh, I could, I yep. couldn't tell you the ending. So. Right. Yeah. Staying on that horror movie theme, mm-hmm. uh, I remember not too long ago I was just scrolling through Facebook and I was seeing pictures of you in different movie sets, and you're out in California. And you, so, where, what are all the movie sets that uh, you visited, and what were they like, and what was your Ooh. favorite? Um, well, that's the one thing I, I had. Didn't get to California till about five years ago, so I was in my late thirties. Uh, I have a the, the wife's been all over the world, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that's a very not unique to Bethlehem, but we're Bethlehem's a very town kind of. We're very sort of homebody. We're, we have yeah. a lot of German roots in this area, and we, we don't go anywhere. Uh, as my grandfather would say, "Why would you pay for a hotel? You have a bed at home," <laughs> and uh, it's, it's true. But um, so I got out to California, and when you're in LA just everywhere you turn is a movie set. And, um, I mean, growing up here, New York is our city, if you will. And uh, I think the biggest thing you want to do when you're in New York is not be a tourist. You're always like, look at that person with a map. (laughs) I haven't been that person in years. Um, I threw that out the window when I got in L.A. I was like, forget it. I'm like, I'm doing every tourist thing that I possibly can do. And now with the the internet on, you know, your foot. So, um... So Halloween was the was the very first one. So um, the the house was, was probably my favorite. It's in South Pasadena. Uh, if you don't know the story, it was saved about twenty years ago. The block was being demolished for a mini mall. Oh wow! And the or strip mall, whatever. And the house was just in complete disarray. And some guy came by and just knew what the house was. And the city's like, look, we'll sell it to you for a dollar. Just you got to get it out of here. And he looked around, looked around, and he was able to move it like a mile and a half down the That's street. That's crazy. So it sits in the most awkward place <laughs> ever. It's in like the triangle of an intersection with train tracks on one side. And um, so I knew that when we were going to see it, but even when you walk up to it, it is just like, what in the world is going <laughs> on? Um, but I-, I love the fact that it's actually preserved now probably hopefully for all time that's awesome um but it was just so cool to kind of be standing there and walk around the that opening handy cam shot that a panaglide sorry that carpenter knew he wanted i mean that's where most of the budget to that film went was the panaglide 
and um, getting a chance and like I'm just so happy <laughs> like standing there and I mean we the block where the babysitters are all those houses like everywhere in that movie I've probably been that's awesome um, and it's great because my wife doesn't know <laughs> so there's so many pictures of her just like where are we? <laughs> and I'm like, you're standing in front of the gate of the mental hospital in the beginning of yeah. Halloween where Michael Myers jumps on the roof of the car and she's like, can we go? <laughs> uh, the uh, One of the pictures, I, the stories I love is, um, I didn't even know this. So um, back in LA uh, is just random street is where the two houses really are across the street from each other where the Doyles and the Tommy Doyle and Wallace's mm-hmm. are across the street. And we go down the block just a little ways and I look over and I see these like green shutters and high hedges and I'm like, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and I get off the phone and I plug it in and I'm like, it is Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my God. Like just down the blocks. Wow. And uh, so we hop out and I run over and we're standing there and this lady comes over and she's taking our picture and uh, we're like, thank you. And then she's like, oh God, did you guys just buy this place? <laughs> and we're like, what? And she's like, oh, like what? what is this picture about? And we're like, Nightmare on Elm Street house. And she's like, what? Oh, wow. Um, but the house actually just was up uh, for sale in October. And oh, wow. I believe it was listed for like $3.25 million. Yeah, okay. uh, A little, little <laughs> bit more than we were going to spend. But I just love the fact <laughs> that some lady out there, it was just like, oh, these new home buyers. And, um, so I've been there. Uh, People Under the Stairs. That's in okay, L.A. Yep, yep. Um, then uh, I like House 2. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, I love House too, and uh, that that's like right around the corner off of uh, USC's campus. So getting a chance to be there, um, getting up to where the fog was shot, I think okay. really underappreciated. Uh, I mean, Carpenter's probably my favorite director, but I think people just overlook the fog, and um, it's just a great one to go back to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a remake of the fog. There was a remake right. of the fog, which is fine, but yeah. that original, like my, that's probably my wife's favorite because right. it is just a great ghost story <laughs> and um and we got a chance to visit there um I'm trying to think other movie wise but those are some of the best like i said the fact really cool. uh especially the halloween house yeah uh, like i because now it has a little sign there's actually a store behind it oh, that's awesome. where it's like a little museum so like that was super cool um but yeah, so but L.A. absolutely. The one thing I was not allowed to do—I know I'm a grown-up—I um, could do movie stuff. I was not allowed to do murder tours of L.A. Mm. Uh, my wife finds them very distasteful. Yeah. So okay. um, and once again, in a place like L.A., every corner you're going to turn something, something yeah, bad has right. happened. Yep. Um, I did trick her one time on the East Coast. <laughs> oh, no. um, we were moving from Pennsylvania into the New York area, and we were looking just around the city. So we were up, up just above it, and we were looking like the uh, into Jersey. So we were looking up around Yonkers. Yeah. And my brain immediately says, oh, I know who's from Yonkers. And um, so I'm like, okay, where did David Berkowitz live? <laughs> and got the address. And so we're up there, we're looking at a couple, and I'm like, let's just swing by this apartment building. And uh, we swing by, and it's not a nice apartment building. Looks like nothing else that we went to see that day. Right. Not modern at all. And uh, she kind of knew. She's like, where are we? <laughs> and I was like, see, right there? I'm like, that's where David Berkowitz was apprehended. And she's like, what? I was like, the son of Sam. And she's like, you really? <laughs> like, you brought me to where he lived? Yeah. And I was like, when am I ever going to be in Yonkers again? Right. <laughs> um, but once again, was not allowed to go tour that stuff in New York. I like, couldn't call and be like, hey, you want to go to Brooklyn? Yeah. Like, yeah. And to see where his last killing was? Like, and she, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't find it funny. I don't mean to make light of any of it. Um, for me, I, I think it's interesting. Exactly. And I, I, I'm not, not a super spiritual person, but I do think certain energies survive in certain places. Sure. And I, I think of all the places that I've been and traveled, there is definitely... Like history just seems to be living in yeah. certain, Gettysburg. Yeah, uh, I mean history Perfect just seems example. to be yeah. living in these places, and I think that's why um, I, I, I've been to uh, so many yeah. because there is just that weird feeling of knowing that you're walking through some, right. something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I, I was telling you earlier before we started recording about this class I took, and one of the classes was um, it was called Stigmatized Properties. They talked about John Mike Gacy's house in California. Mm-hmm. They talked about the Manson murders in California, which yep. is really cool. And I was like, how do these exist? And I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember exactly, but I think the Manson house was demolished and rebuilt. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they so. rebuilt yeah. it. I know some structures are absolutely gone yeah, for yeah. that reason. And, and I think Gacy's house was turned. So, mm-hmm. because they wanted to change the address. Because mm-hmm. if you turn oh, it, right. it's it not on this street, street, it's on the right. other street. And I thought that was really cool, but I was like, you could demolish a house, but still, that's still, still the house on the land that happened. Right. where that if happened. it's still haunted, it's still haunted. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I thought that was pretty cool. Or, you know, they do reconstruction, like, in Long Island with the uh, the Fayo, the uh, Amityville Horror. Yeah, house. like, the Fayo house yeah. does not look like it anymore. Right, right. They, they covered up the eye window. Right. And, I mean, it's, everyone's like, we know, but... Uh, <laughs> it was built on a cemetery. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, like, you're like, eh. Um, as far as, like, I, I think of the properties, and you want to talk about uh, newsworthy... So, uh, in Fall River, Massachusetts, about an hour south of Boston, is the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you're talking, I think, 1895 uh, is when the killings happened. It became a house for the next, like, 90 to 100 years. Mm -hmm. It was just somebody's house. Mm -hmm. Like, it got sold. Somebody just lived in the Lizzie Borden house. And then in around the 1990s, somebody purchased it with the intention of making it a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. And now when you can go visit it, it's a museum. They right. they tried to restore it as much to their crime scene photos as yeah. they could. Well, or... I thought it was an Airbnb now. It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I believe it was up for sale recently. So yeah. I think it is yeah. now just a... Yeah, when we were there, it was just a and b Yeah. And... Um, the downstairs was more the tour, but yeah. all the bedrooms were completely rentable. That's, that's awesome. And that's um, they had, uh, like, the couch from one of the crime scene photos where the father was killed. They had not the same couch, but they had the same air type of couch. And there is just this weirdness of sitting on the couch and looking at the crime scene photo. Right, right, right next to like, right. And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. And... Um, they had some stuff from the crime. When you went to the historical society in the town, like they had the bed sheets from where the mom was killed, and oh, what they yeah. they had all this stuff. And it's just like, but I mean, talk about imagine like in the 1960s, like that was just someone's house. Someone lived right. there, yeah. And, and I, apparently, there's still because there was so much blood where I guess where the couch was or somewhere mm-hmm. that the oh, yeah. trip to the basement, yep. and you can still see the outline the and the stains because yeah. it never came up, and they tried to preserve that so you can go and see that. That's crazy. Yeah, oh, so. oh, all the craziest things that day, like double axe murder. Uh, we were on this tour with a girl that was like seven years old, and we were up in the front bedroom where the stepmother was killed. And the little girl's there with her grandma, and the tour uh, guide's all done with their thing, and we're gonna go to the next space. And the little girl lays down in the spot of where the body was, oh and she's God. like, "Granny, quick, take my picture!" <laughs> and I do that was more frightening than anything yeah. I've ever seen. I was like, "Good lord!" I was like, "What does this girl do?" Um, um, but I mean that 100% true story. 
Yeah, and, that's uh, awesome. And uh, in fact, one of the photos I used to show my class because we would talk about Salem. We would read, uh, yeah. the Le- well, we'd read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. We would read uh, some of uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's from Salem. And those pictures were in between that trip. And I would, and then one of the photos, there's the little girl standing like with her grandma. And I was like, and that girl is it's terrifying. The creepiest person you've ever met. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's. That's probably the most one of the more famous sites cool. I've been. That's yeah. cool. So um, speaking of axe murders, uh, here in Bethlehem we actually have our own axe murder that not many people know about, and I only know about this because Jeff, you actually told me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, we're gonna take a little break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Ghost Encounters Podcast is sponsored by the Eric Ledbetter team with Iron Valley Real Estate. Contact the Eric Ledbetter team for all your real estate needs. Visit theericledbetterteam.com. Also sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your competition with expert marketing, photography, and video production. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying the Ghost Encounters Podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ghost Encounters PA. That's at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. And we're back. Uh, Eric, you were telling me that you were taking this uh, stigmatized properties class. Yeah. Right? So I know throughout these episodes we've asked these questions about do you have to disclose murders and hauntings and stuff like that. What did you find out? Do we have actual answers now? Yeah. So, I mean... Yes, I believe these are true. I went to a, I went to a conference this past week um, for real estate, and one of the um, classes I took was called Stigmatized Properties, and I thought it was going to be about foreclosures and bank-owned properties and properties that are you know abandoned to the bank, those sort of things. But it was really about ghosts and murders, which I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm home. I found yeah. <laughs> I'm here, and you know, I got really excited, and it was the it, truly one of the best classes. Did you start passing out ghosts and kind of? I did it right. I should have. I should have. <laughs> no, but everybody, every single. I mean, there's probably. 200 or 300 people in that classroom was huge um and everybody had their own ghost story which was because the the teacher would say like does anyone have their own ghost stories and you'd see this like wave of hands going up yeah every single person and everybody in the class for the most part was really open-minded very cool nobody was like this is fake this is bs everybody was like no i believe that because they were talking about like she got into serial killers. She talked about houses that were torn down, but there was still a brick wall around the house, like mm-hmm. like a gate that was made out of mm-hmm. like bricks, that ghosts could still be there because it had something to do with the house, the original foundation, the original bricks, just right. all kinds of cool stuff. But one of the things we talked about a couple episodes ago was, um, do you have to disclose if there was a murder or a suicide in a house? And I don't know every state's answer, but here in Pennsylvania, you absolutely do not. It was a decision decided by the Supreme Court. So wow. the rumors that, like, if yeah. it's in the headlines or if the seller knows about it or does it skip a property, it, you know, how many, you know, because there's been deaths in houses for yeah. lots and long, you know, yeah. a long time. Yeah. Right? So do you have to disclose it? And in Pennsylvania, you don't um, at all. So if a seller, you know, does not choose to disclose that somebody was died by suicide or somebody was murdered, you don't have to disclose right. it. It does look bad on that party side of it but it does but it's not illegal it's Mm -hmm. not illegal what about they go over hauntings like 
you don't have to disclose. Yeah, no. it's it, you don't have to disclose any of that stuff. It's not now. There are certain states where it you do, right. and I don't have those states. I'm sure you can look them up. But they were um, this conference was primarily New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania real right. estate agents. So those are the answers. Which makes sense because that's all the area around here. Right. Right. Exactly. The other thing I thought was really cool. I'll just throw this little tidbit in: is pre-pandemic, if you would ask people if their house was haunted, let's say there's a hundred people, twenty-four percent or 24 people would say yes my house is haunted now that people have worked home for almost two years um because they don't go in the office they did that poll again and it was 44 percent oh wow so because people are home home more they're noticing more ghosts in their house (laughs) you know which i thought was really cool um so just a little tidbit interesting didn't jeff didn't you live in a house where there was a suicide did you ever see anything uh yes and uh, i did um so it was not planned (laughs) <laughs> uh, my friends thought it was planned. My students thought it was planned that like I would seek out a suicide house. <laughs> um, if there was one thing in my life that is probably the scariest to me, it is suicide. Sure. Like I am absolutely. I talked before about history living in a place. Yeah, one hundred percent believe that. And um, so I didn't know until about a day or a day or two before. Um, my mom called and said, "Hey, if I heard something about your house, would you want to know now or after you moved in?" And uh, I told you guys, I said, I, I thought of it like kind of like an ex, like a girlfriend. Well, I was like, if she has an STD, I'd kind of like to know now. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, mom, go ahead, hit me with it. And she said, so and so's, you know, father in law lives on the street, and I think there was a suicide in your house. And I'm just like, she's messing with me because she knows this is the one thing right. that I'm like, uh, not about. So good old uh, Google, look it up, <laughs> and there it was. And, um, so what really did it was, it was three months ago. So I could hang with like 20 years ago. I mean, it was the end of January and this was March. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, is he out of the house? Like, this is so recent. Um, I didn't want to be the guy that didn't yeah. buy a house. So I was like, ah, I'll man up and do it. Right. Um, so I settled in April. Um, luckily, I was a first year teaching. I was living with my parents, so there was no rush to get out. I get along with my parents, no problem. Um, so over the course of like two months, we got to do some work on the house and everything. I knew nothing other than that there was a suicide in the house. Right. I didn't know where. I didn't know how. I didn't know any of that stuff. But it's always in your brain. Like well, every, yeah. everything you open, you're like, is this the one? <laughs> um, so I'm a big chicken. So I was terrified in that house for weeks. I mean, it didn't matter what the weather was. The front door was open so I could run. Um, And it was half a double. Uh, Sometimes they call them twins. I don't know what the term. Uh, And we shared a wall with steps. So there's the neighbor's steps. Anyone coming down sounded exactly like coming down my steps. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So quite a few times. I was in the front yard just like, oh, hey, I'm out out here just seeing what's going on. I'm going to sleep outside tonight. Yeah. Um, So here's where the story takes an awkward, only me type of story. Um, So we had an attic and it has a low slanting roof. And um, one of the parts of it had a hole in it. Like maybe a one foot by one foot section. Like, uh, you know, somebody had punched it or a kid or whatever had kicked through it. It's the attic. 
So my friends thought it was kind of funny. I was going to have a friend, uh, I was going to have a roommate for a little bit, thought it was funny that you could be standing there and your head was like, could go in this hole. And we would be like, look, I'm in your ceiling. And I'd be like, look, I'm in the ceiling. And um, so we, we boarded it up and my friend moved in. It's all plastered up. Fast forward five months, we have a Halloween party. My neighbor comes over and a uh, nice guy, name's Ed. And I was like, hey, Ed, I got a question about Bob. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the guy. And uh, he's like, yeah. And I was like, so what do you know? And he's, so I found out my neighbor is one of the guys that found him. Um, he had been dead about a week. Oh. Um, was a stench starting to. Yes, but that wasn't the reason. Oh. Um, so this happened in January. It was right after New Year's. I guess he had a big blow off party, which we found all kinds of remnants of <laughs> when we moved in. And um, there had been a snowstorm. Oh, uh, his wife had left him just prior and took the kids. So he was by himself in the house. He was falling behind and all. I mean, just situations. Um, So there's this major snowstorm comes through the area and his, everything gets covered in snow. No sign of him for days. And nobody came out the shovel, the card. So they know this guy hasn't. So finally, uh, Ed calls his brother and says, hey. You haven't seen him in a while. And his brother actually said he's probably dead. Wow. So he came over. They must have had a key or something because they got in the house without the police. Right. Uh, So anyway, Ed's telling me all this. And I was like, oh, I was like, so what happened? And they're like, oh, well, he he hung himself. And I was like, oh. And they're like, well, you know the hole that was in the attic? (sighs) And I'm looking at my friends like, we are. All in so much trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no. So that's that's what we found out. Um, the two instances then that that came from it. So I, I had a dog, and I would I coached wrestling. So uh, a couple times a year, I'd, I would go away to wrestling tournaments for the weekend, three four days, and one of my friends would come and house sit and dog sit. And um, so after like a second or third time, I was like, saying, he's like, yeah, he's like, I just. I just don't know if I want to can can help you this time. And I was like, Jared, what's what's going on? And he's like, Well, last time I stayed, he's like, the smoke detector in your attic was going like was beeping with the low battery. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm lazy. I'm like, I didn't get up there to get it. Like whatever. <laughs> and he's like, No, that's not it. And I was like, What? He's like, Well, I went up to take the battery out. And he's like, I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, I got to the top of the steps. And he's like, Just something wouldn't let me get up the top of the steps. He's like, There was just a force like holding me down from getting to the top of the steps and he's like I got out of there fast and I'm like Haha, like who told you and he's like what are you talking about and I'm like you know and he's like I have no clue and so I told him I was like look this is what happened he died in that stairwell he that's yeah we finally jumped into the stairwell and um I mean Jack he went white as can be and that's it. Like, he will not come in wow. that house ever again. I mean, wow. I, we sold it a few years back. And that when I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. if he if he was acting, he got me. Yeah. Um, my only other encounter, Bob and I were pretty cool. Like, <laughs> I, I think, you know, I watched a lot of TV. I'm, I'm a pretty lazy guy. Um, so I think he probably enjoyed living together. Um, the only thing I ever had, and I just, once again, kind of played it off. Uh, I got up in the middle of the night, it was like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was thirsty, so I went to the fridge uh, to get something to drink, and I grabbed the Gatorade, and I heard something run across the kitchen, and I could feel the floor, because uh, it was over Ooh, top right. of the, and I could feel the doom, 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 and then something stepped on my foot and ran into the <laughs> living room, and I dropped the Gatorade, <laughs> I closed the refrigerator door, and I went back to bed, 
And I woke up like, I don't think that happened. And I went downstairs and like the gator. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, come on. But that was it. I, he left me alone after that. Um, I mean, this was all probably within a year <laughs> of him passing. And um, so, yeah, so that was that was the suicide. How, and yeah, like I thought we were always told like, oh, since it wasn't newsworthy, it didn't need to be disclosed. No. But now we know. No, you don't have right. to. Not at all. But, I mean, if you're it. living in the house and you know, you should probably disclose it but that's your call yeah, so, yeah i I'm mean sure people would be pretty angry if they found out that yeah you knew and they didn't tell them yeah you know I mean? but, but like, not illegal but like you said the house was a uh, built in like 1896 and the time i bought it was 107 years old mm-hmm. so i mean if that's the only death i'd be pretty surprised yeah yeah because of course of course with older properties i mean people just yeah died in their houses right yeah, yeah, died, there, died yeah in your house there you know? wasn't a hospital like, <laughs> right. this, is, this is what you do but I mean, speaking of speaking of dying in your house, if you want to know if somebody died in your house, we we do uh, we came across a website called diedinhouse.com. Mm-hmm. And so it's 11.99 if you want to do one search and then it goes up incrementally for more searches. So right. diedinhouse.com is a pretty cool it's site. It's about what you said 11 11.99 for one search. Okay. And you can see if anybody died. Well, there in your you house. go. If you want to find out if anyone actually died in your house on the record, that's the place to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of old houses and places where people dying. I mentioned this uh, axe murder that happened right here in Bethlehem. Um, for those of you who don't know, Bethlehem is considered the Christmas city. It was founded in 1741 by the Moravians on Christmas Eve, and that's why we call it the Christmas city. Christmas is like the biggest um, holiday for us here, and we, the whole town's decorated. And this axe murder happened in 1880 on Christmas night. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so... The story goes, um, this took place in the town of Santee's Mill. Um, Santee's Mill was just north of Bethlehem, but Bethlehem, as we all know, we've mentioned in this podcast, areas have been divided differently, and eventually Bethlehem just kind of consumed more areas. So there's a road now called Santee's Mill, and that's where this area was, right along the Minoxie Creek. And uh, do you want to explain? Jeff, and you're the one that showed this to me. Do you want to explain yeah, a little bit about um, the uh, story? Yeah, so when I discovered this, I... Well, I thought it was a setup because uh, I mean I, I shouldn't say dream come true, but but an a, a Christmas I mean, axe murder in Christmas City, Christmas City, yeah, <laughs> like somebody they knew their writing, like they they this this was good work. Um, so yeah, it's about an, uh, what would have been at that time about a mile outside of town, and um, it, there was an old mine down there in a the mill, mm-hmm. and uh, the family. It's interesting that you mentioned about the uh, foundation because that's all that remains of this right. property. That's all that's there. Uh, is a foundation. But, um, yes, yeah, so in the 1880s, there was a family there. We're going to just go with uh, Gogol because Google was a little too familiar. Right? Yeah, it's, it's spelled um, G-E-O-G-L-E. So. I've also seen it on Ancestry at, uh, in the uh, census from, I think, 1870. It's G-O-G-E-L. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so there was the, uh, the Gogol family. Um Lived there. It was a husband and wife with uh, two daughters. J- uh, Jacob, I think, was his yeah, name. Yeah, Jacob and Annie were uh, the parents. Yep. And we yep. have three daughters, actually, now that I'm remembering. There were two younger and an older. Yeah, the older daughter is Alice. Yes. So, um, the, Jacob worked at the mill, or at the, sorry, at the mine, and, um, you know, to make ends meet at that time, they took in uh, another, one of those co-workers, uh, who's also going to serve as a hand for the family. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Last name's Snyder. And, um... So I don't know exactly how long he lived with the family. You can probably find it. It's probably in there. Um, um, for a couple months, uh, 
Joseph, Sn- Joseph, Joseph. first. Name. Joseph Snyder was only 27 years old. Yes. And uh, obviously, people who worked in mines and stuff weren't very yep. well off. So yep. um, the Gogols lived in a kind of a small house. Yeah, two story though. Yeah, two story. Yeah. But what I've been in houses like that from back then, and the rooms were very, very tiny. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and as you were saying, like at this time, Bethlehem just you know very much an immigrant community. Uh, the Bethlehem Steel would have been running at that time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there was lots of factories, lots of mills, lots of things yeah. like that. And it was very common for people to come in and out halfway house. Like, I know uh, I have Italian immigrant family, and they lived in downtown Allentown in kind of like an immigrant house. Mm-hmm. They just existed. So, anyway, Snyder was with the family for a few months. And um, he was just making lots of um, inappropriate advances towards the daughters. Uh, the Alice, Alice stole being uh, yeah. about four. 14, 15 years. 14, yeah, she was just 14, 14 years old and he was 27. Yeah. So he was, and uh, so Alice told her parents on a few occasions and they kind of told Snyder, knock it off. And um, shortly, you know, beginning of December or whatever, I guess it just was so inappropriate that Jacob sent Snyder on his way and said, look, you're, you can't stay here. This is no longer welcome. Right. Um, fast forward to Christmas. Um, now, I've been told, or what I've seen, so this story, I first encountered it in Murder in the Lehigh Valley, which mm-hmm. is a great book, um, but the Bethlehem Globe Times existed, so I was able to go down <laughs> and just find the old newspaper articles. Right. Um, so some people said that, uh, anyway, so Joseph Snyder shows up on Christmas night at the Gogols, uh, who are celebrating Christmas with their neighbors, uh, who also have two girls. So now you have four adults and five girls in the house, and... Um, I was told, or I read, at least not told, uh, that Snyder shows up dressed as Santa Claus. And he's, you know, wanted to come and celebrate Christmas, knowing that this was going to be a very hospitable family. And they said he could come in. He was going to enjoy some food. They were going to sing Christmas carols. Uh, It gets late into the evening, and the uh, neighbors were going to be going back home. And the, uh, the daughters asked if the two girls could stay. And, um, the, you know, Jacob and his wife said, sure, you know, no, no problem. Yeah. So, um, and it, because it had become so late and, uh, Jacob, I'm sorry, uh, Joseph Snyder was going to have to travel to wherever he was staying. The family offered to let him stay that evening. Um, they could put a cot in the hallway for him, which I guess he had probably used anyway. Um, so other people leave. Girls retire upstairs to their room. Back in those times, the master bedrooms tended to be on the first floor. Right. So the Gogols go to sleep in the front room, and uh, Snyder is sleeping in the hallway. Uh, at some point during the evening, or during the overnight time, he gets up and he strips himself down to nothing but his shirt. Uh, he goes to where the stove would have been, gets himself an axe, and goes into the parents' bedroom. Um... All kinds of deep, different details emerge, but basically kills Jacob first, kills the wife second, uh, continues to chop them almost to the point of severing both of their heads. Correct, yeah. uh, In all of the kind of noise being made. Um, here I've seen a couple of different takes on it, so I'll, I'll give you the one that I've, I've seen most often. Uh, Alice came downstairs hearing a commotion. Uh, she walks into, comes down, kind of looks into her parents' bedroom mm-hmm. and sees Snyder standing there covered in blood with a bloody axe. Uh, she runs back upstairs and is able to lock the door. Uh, Snyder kind of chases after. Why he never breaks down the door, I always wonder that, yeah, but doesn't. And Alice is able to get out of the upstairs window and run to the neighbor's house. Yeah. Um, and she's screaming, and she's murder, screaming. murder, you know? Uh, so the neighbor's house is only a couple, you know, maybe a couple hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. And they come running, they have some other people with them. In the meantime, uh, Snyder has taken off his shirt, 
has burned it in the stove, yep. has put on other clothes, and um, is immediately greeting them with the tale that men have broken into the house. Yeah. Um, four men, I think think he says, <laughs> of dark skin, according to mm. the, the thing I've seen of the course. next day. Yep. And uh, is screaming that they, there was this attack in the house and he fought off these attackers and that is what Alice saw. And, um, and so she is mistaken that he had actually had been in there defending the family, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the adults believe him. Um, so how at this time you got me, uh, but anyway, the town starts to hear about what has happened. And since, you know, you don't really have a police force in the right. modern sense or an exactly. ambulance in the modern sense. You can't just sense. pick up the yep. phone and call right. for the police. Uh, you know, the crime scene stayed as was. Um, so neighboring people all are coming in, coming in to see what's going on. And Snyder is telling this story to who would ever listen. Meanwhile, Alice is not changing her story, but nobody's going to believe a 14-year-old girl at this right. particular time. Um, so by the next morning, you have the medical people kind of coming out from Bethlehem, some of the yeah. people coming out. Keep in mind, the county seat is down in Easton, so the district attorney's coming in from Easton, which is probably a trip down William Penn Highway at this time. Uh, but by the next morning, people are noticing that Snyder's story has kind of changed. Or is yeah. changing. Or and Eventually, he actually goes in hiding in someone's yes. barn. Right? Yes, he takes off. Uh, because he realizes people are they're not, not listening. They're to not buying this yeah. anymore. Wow. And uh, Alice has convinced them all that this is what has happened. Um, he doesn't get too far. Uh, so later in the day, they start searching for Snyder. And they find him in the, in the neighbor's barn up in the uh, hay bale, the hayloft. I yeah. And uh, they bring him back to the house. So now he is brought back to the crime scene. Uh, by this point, the district attorney is there. Um, the whole town's there. Yeah, the whole town's the whole town. there. The yeah. sheriff is there. <laughs> um, now, it's important to know at this time, though, that only a few years prior in the city of Easton, there was also uh, a major homicide that I think took out four family members. Wow. Uh, it turned out it was one of the sons who had poisoned his family over a couple of weeks it was like wow. a younger sister got sick and then an older sister got sick and little by little family all drops um, turns out he had been poisoning their food for several weeks um, goes on trial and at this time the criminal system's rather interesting yeah. and he pleads temporary insanity um, which uh, if you don't know Pennsylvania Senator is the first person to use that in the United States, uh, Dan Sickles. Oh, um, I did not know that. Oh, you want to hear a great side note for a second? It's, sure. it's an amazing story when you hear this one. So uh, Francis Scott Key, we all know him, writes the Star Spangled Banner, has a kid. Uh, Dan Sickles from Pennsylvania is a senator in Washington and uh, has a wife. Francis Scott Key's son has an affair with Sickles' wife. Oh. He finds out kills Francis Scott Key's son right. uh, for having an affair with his wife. Uh, goes on trial and he says, look, I'm better now. He's like, I was just so upset at that particular time that that's what I had to do and I'm, I'm better. I was just temporarily insane. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, high-priced lawyers can do, you know, boom, that's it. Found not guilty, reason wow. of temporary insanity. Wow. And that's where that kind of term. And so the guy in Easton, that's what they kind of argue, that he was mentally unstable at the right. time. And um, so he's is found guilty, but he is committed to a um, psychological hospital versus a jail. Much less security. Right. Uh, and so these people that in this town, yep. they know this guy just committed a, yep. 
double axe murder. Yep. They don't want him to just get away with it like yep. the other guy in Easton did, right? Yeah, and the guy in Easton actually escaped from the mental hospital, took off and crossed into Mexico down uh, in Texas. Uh, so they know this guy's gone and is just living his life somewhere. Right. So they're looking at Snyder like, we are not letting this happen again. And the sheriff and the DA are like, please, come on, like, let's let the... And the, the, it's kind of amazing that like the people of Bethlehem would not let this happen. Right. Um, so I guess before full-on mob justice happened, um, Snyder, I, I've seen varying reports, starts to come forward. And yeah, he say, admits to it. Yeah, he admits to it. He says, look, I told him I was going to get him. And uh, at that point, somehow, I've heard they drug the sheriff and the DA out of the room. <laughs> they weren't as willing uh, as, uh, you, you know, you might think. They might have said this isn't worth it either. Yeah. But the people get their hands on Snyder. And um, they don't take him too far from the house. Somebody grabs a cord from inside the house. Uh, he actually is okay with it. That's one of the that's, reports Yeah, that's I one read. of the strange things I read. That that's he was kind Snyder. of okay with, like, yeah. you know what? I did it. You might as well kill Yeah, he's me. like, look, he's like, I, I did what I wanted to do. And, and, I, and I was reading it, like the sheriff and stuff. They were just kind of like, uh, I guess this is just, ha- I guess this has happened. Yeah, you know, like what are they going to do? What it is? That's what I, I think I basically kind of got from it too, where they were just like, look, we're either going to have to fight two hundred people, or, or they're going to hang this guy. Yep, and uh, they do. <laughs> and uh, I believe they, it's, it's, they don't quite know what they're doing. No, because they, they hoist him up and yep. then he like falls back down. Yep. And then they hoist them back up again. <laughs> yep. It takes like two or three times. And then eventually they decide, let's just tie the rope. Yeah. And uh, and then they leave him up there for several hours to make sure. Because, yeah, I guess they just kept like, I think he's, nope. Okay, I think this time. And um, that's it. And they all just kind of, that's it. That's it. And they wow. just went back to their and, daily um, business. As far as I know, it's one of the only, if not only, lynchings in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, Nobody is ever questioned or arrested or anything for this mob rule. Um, Everybody just kind of goes on. Yeah, yeah. Um, The the Gogols are buried uh, in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, Snyder, I believe... Do you know which cemetery? I don't off the top of my head. I know I found it in findagrave.com. That's awesome. And... um, so uh, I know Alice Marys because I, I I was doing some work on I was looking to see if she has any descendants because I was like that would be a kind of interesting thing. that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, she'll be like you know, um, but that's it. I mean it's it, it, it's like it was tailor written for people yeah. like yeah. us. Right, there's um, a movie in there somewhere. Oh, I know. Like I said, the I I told my wife my movie idea was that uh, he does not go willingly mm-hmm. and he is cursing the town and uh, you know on the like a hundred years later here comes Santa Claus like right. like, <laughs> like you cannot get, get it's the, perfect yeah right. and I, you guys said the foundation is still there the foundation where is it, it is. like if you're at if you're on the mill uh, if you're on Santee Mill Road yeah. Um, it's not too far down Santee Mill Road. The house is to the right. Yes. Um, well, on the opposite side of the river, they're kind of bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be one. It wouldn't be a house that they would have lived in because they were poor. There's a lot of like converted barns out there too. Right. To the left, though, there's not really many houses, but you see the pillars that would have been the entrance to driveways. They're mm-hmm. kind of like knocked down and like dismantled. Um, but not too far down the road, if you look, you can see like a little foundation. Oh, get out. Yeah, I'm gonna go look. Yeah, I think it's cl- it's closer to 512 than 191. One yes. nine, the first time I went down 191, turned left, and then just kind of go down that road. And there's signs posted about like trespassing. Yeah, if you stuff, if you but... look at Google Maps, um, you'll see how the river kind of bends and it gets pretty close to Saint Mill Road. But then like halfway down Saint Mill Road, it kind of just veers up north. Mm-hmm. So that whole extra section of Saint Mill Road, that's not where it is. It's in that like beginning first. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. I mean, and that's. 
it's a good. I mean, it's it's perfect for our city. Absolutely, it's it's, it's, awesome. it's, it's yeah. I, and I, I I knew that this would be a good uh, story to tell because this is our last podcast episode before our holiday break. Um, <laughs> we know the holidays are right around the corner, so we're gonna take a little holiday hiatus. But yeah. I thought that was a good kind of story to uh, tell before that. Very cool. You know? And I think the, the the last place to go. I mean, I I have a little bit of an insight into. Uh, like where certain crimes in Bethlehem have happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, why should I go into that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so my father's a retired police officer. So he was in the city of Bethlehem for 25 years. Wow. Uh, came on the force in 76 and stayed on to 2001. Um, definitely saw a lot of changes in the, in the, the police department over those times. Um uh, I mean, he came on the force, you just kind of applied, and if you got hired, they sent you to the police academy, and you started working for him. Now you're talking a bachelor degree and multiple things right. and your own training, and then maybe you got hired. But, um, so I definitely grew up with uh, dinnertime stories of where stuff had happened in the city. Wow. Um, or where you, you know, we would go places, and my dad would be like, this or that, and, um... <laughs> You definitely, or I, uh, you know, you hear details that aren't in the paper or aren't mm-hmm. necessarily talked about on the news. Uh, some details you don't want to know right, are exactly. just kind of burned in there. Um, my dad would, I, and it's not like my dad would sit me down like, okay, son, like right. here was... Story but, time. <laughs> but, like, you know, he'd be driving in the car with my mom in the front seat, and I was an attentive kid in the back seat. And uh, I asked him this recently, and I said, was this just how you dealt with the job? And he said, yeah, this is like... This is how, like, you know, it's like therapy right. didn't exist. Right. right. You, if the, you talk about it instead of just letting it inside. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's, and, it's awesome. Uh, you know, he definitely, like, I asked him, he doesn't talk about it a lot. And this for for good reason. Right. I mean, it's sort of like how, like, grandparents don't, you know, people don't talk about the wars. Like, you know, sure. it's, for, it's for reasons. And, um, but, you know, I would ask him certain things about, like, what were, like, the worst things he'd ever seen. Because you got to imagine when you're a police officer, yes, we all think we know what cops' jobs are. Um, but... They see the worst yeah. of society, and um, I de- I know it definitely changed my dad. Um, in his twenty years of retirement, I've watched him soften, uh, turning you know turning back into probably the man he was. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if every day you're just getting called to the worst things, right. you start to think that all that's out there yeah, is they're the not worst. usually called to nice things. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, he would always say the, the, the things he remembers most are things with kids. Because yeah. you're talking innocence here. Sure. And um, there was a uh, murder-suicide uh, in the city uh, ages back. and um, Not ages back, but going back. Yeah. And uh, it was on a Sunday morning. And like the anyway, the uh, they had a one-year-old. Uh, and it was an estranged boyfriend that wasn't supposed to have contact. Kind of came back and killed her and himself. And when the police got there, the baby was crawling around in the remains of the mother. And, you know, it's like, how do you process that? Uh, And then the other one that he talked about, and this is one of those, like, kind of miracle things. And this was very early in his career where he almost left the force. Um, For whatever reason, a woman was coming over the Fahey Bridge and was going to turn northbound and was going to turn left onto Lehigh Street. So to swing down by the train depot. And um, they're pretty sure she she was ending it because they didn't find... Any signs of tire marks, brakes, any of that kind of stuff. And she came off the bridge, started going down Lehigh Street, and just straight into the back of a tractor trailer that was parked. Wow. Um, and so she, 
uh, did not survive. And they get this call, and my dad gets there, and he's going through, and they hear the cry of a baby. Mm. And they look, the baby is in a car seat, but the car seat has been thrown because of the impact of the crash. So my dad's like, okay. So the baby's still strapped into this car seat. And when they kind of move the car seat, they see that the metal part of the truck, which had kind of sawed off the top of the car, had also taken off the top of the baby's skull. And um, so my dad, you know, they're kind of, they know the mother's gone. And all they can kind of do is put a towel on the exposed head of this, you know, one-year-old. And um, my father, you know, is basically sitting there thinking, like, this, like, how you know do you yeah. right. um the child survived oh thank god and um in fact they this is back to the miracle part was the the surgeon and stuff kind of said if they had done that cut in an operating room they could not have done it more precise than what happened in the crash wow. that's crazy and it's just like baby was supposed to survive yeah, yeah. and that's what, that's what i mean but my dad and they would have contact with the, the kid everything you know as the kid got older he's because older than i am yeah. and uh but that was the one that almost made my dad uh Force. So not only were you watching horror movies and stuff as a you were kid, a- now you're also <laughs> yeah. like, hearing stories from your father too. Well, yeah, I knew it was out there, and so my my father had an interest in mathematics, and so after a few years on the force, he eventually he became the city's accident investigator. Okay. So he would get sent to different workshops, kind of like yours, yeah, yeah. Uh, not as not as much fun probably, where they would learn just what automobiles do to the human body. Sure. And so I would hear things like, oh, what, uh, 45 miles per hour and faster, it just severs. Yeah. They're like, but at 35, you'll go on the hood. Yeah. And like, these are things that you hear in your brain. You're just like, as a kid, like, thanks. Yeah. Um, but how, and I didn't I didn't know this till a couple of years ago. I really started talking about it. Excuse me there for a second. And uh, it realized, like, I was having my own therapy. There was definitely a cloud of doom and gloom and death that hung over my house. Because any fatality in the city by automobile would trigger a phone call to my dad. And uh, it didn't matter when that was. And you can imagine a lot of fatals happen in the overnight Uh, hours. So I knew basically after 9 o'clock. That's like the old parent rule. Like don't call after 9. If the phone rang. If the phone rang after 9 o'clock, somebody was probably dead in the city. So when the phone rings after that time, you know it's... Someone's probably dead. Right. And, uh, you know, there's that, that selfish side of you that is sort of like, please don't let it be someone I know. Um, but at the same time, you know, some somewhere, some family, some person, people are going to be affected by this. Right. And, uh, you know, so my dad coming and going at two o'clock in the morning was, was just common. And then, you know, sometimes you'd see it in the paper the next day, um, sometimes not. Uh, there was on Shandersville Road, just on the road between the Westgate Mall mm-hmm. and... Um, what was Muhlenberg Hospital then? Um, uh, Officer Rice was killed in just a total freak kind of accident. Dad gets called out to that one. So right. here's like your colleague. Yeah. And um, so he definitely, you know, went through the gamut of everything that comes with that. So as far as like the autopsies and stuff, he's he's been to those, yeah. you know, all that, you know, just kind of seeing all that terrible stuff. And um, like I, I, I was saying, I didn't know how much this affected me until my adult life. When I just didn't know why, when I was sleeping, if the phone rang, I I would have a panic attack. Right. And uh, my wife was finally the one that's like, like, what's it like? What is this? And I was like, I don't know. And then I started exploring it, and it was like, oh, because when the phone rang at my house, I knew somebody was dead, and that's I usually right. was only sleeping after nine yeah. o'clock. <laughs> so, 
that definitely, you know, I, I think made horror movies easier sure. to right. deal with right. just because Makes you sense. knew. Uh, to put one final story, though, um, th- that's not what my dad remembers the most. Uh, he always told me he only became a police officer because he saw his job as helping people. And uh, he got a call one night on Christmas Eve uh, for an intruder on the west side of the city. So he gets out there, and it's an older lady, and uh, she says, yeah, somebody was walking around outside, you know, looking through windows, and, you know, was scared. So my dad said, all right, all right, all right. And uh, it had snowed not much earlier. And so he's walking around the property, and it's it's pristine. There's no footprints anywhere to be found. And so my dad's like, something's not right. So he goes in, and... uh, you know, he's telling the lady, he's like, look, everything looks fine, what's fine? And he's getting, and he just noticed the lady just didn't seem to want him to go. And he was able to look through the dining room, he could see there was kind of like a dinner, and there was pie, and there was cookies, and there were all these things. And something just kind of said, stay. And um, they were sitting there, and, you know, so she, he ate a piece of pie, had some cookies, did all <laughs> this kind of thing. And she starts sharing that uh, this was her first Christmas without her husband. That he had passed away this past oh. year. Uh, her kids live far away, and um, she didn't say that that's why she called. But in that moment, my dad he knew, knew that, this right. was his job, Aww. and uh, so he always tells the story of you know sometimes you you help people without always knowing it, and that's that's what he saw his job as. Um, so yes, I I remember the doom and the gloom, but he remembers those stories. That's a really nice story. Yeah, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming yes, on. Thank you. Um, this was awesome. Learned a lot. Um, you, you definitely brought a lot of uh... <laughs> too much. No, no awesome. you, you brought great. a lot of information, and I love that uh, you started that uh, film class in Liberty, and you visit all these places, and you show me this axe murderer um, story <laughs> from, from our own city, which is yes. awesome. <laughs> um, it, it was great to have you on. It's great to see you again. I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Um, everyone that's listening, again, this is our last episode. Um, probably till after the new year. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this one, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Again, have a very happy and safe holidays. Uh, if you come across any holiday-type horror stories, uh, email me, send me a message, whatever. 